Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fitness Oracle. Today, we sit down with Nicole Janton, who is a certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, energy healer, and the host of the Anxious and Ambitious podcast. She helps women find their inner strength and create holistic health, mind, body, and soul. In this episode, we talk we go really deep into her knowledge when it comes to energetic shifting for exercise and eating, uh, overcoming subconscious blocks, how they affect overcoming eating disorders, interconnecting physical and mental health, and a few simple, easy steps to help improve your physical health and your mental health. Uh, I got a, this is a great show. It was a lot of fun recording, uh, recording and talking with Nicole. Um, she comes from my hometown, well, near my hometown of Toronto. She lives in London, Ontario, and I really hope you guys enjoy the show. Let me know what you guys think at the end of it. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours. And this is one of the stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Nicole Janton from the podcast, Anxious and Ambitious Podcast. Nicole is a certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, healer, and a and the host of the Anxious, Ambitious Anxious and Ambitious Podcast. Nicole helps women find inner freedom and create holistic health, mind, body, and soul. After struggling with an eating disorder for many years, she's intimately familiar with the emotions behind eating and exercise. She loves to help women create energetic and emotional shifts so they can reach their fitness goals with ease. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's great to have you here, and it's. Uh, I think this is an important conversation that we're that we're about to get into. Uh, first and foremost, congratulations on getting married. Um, Thank you. Uh, how's it going so far? I know the honeymoon phase may be over now. <laughs> yeah, I like to still think that we're in the honeymoon phase. Um, things are going great. We're both sort of in the entrepreneurial space. So it's really nice to have somebody to support me through all of that. And yeah, it's fun to be actually married after having been together for almost a decade. Wow. Well, mm -hmm. again, congratulations. I know it's a big step for both of you. Um, so that's a really good, uh, really, I'm really happy for you and your husband. Thank you. Uh, I was doing a little bit of homework on you, uh, this weekend and, uh, one of your, your, your podcast is really, really, really great. I have to, I have to give you that. It's, uh, I, I listen to almost every single episode. So good job. Wow. Congrats. Really good work. Uh, anybody out there watching or listening to this, when you're done watching this, go watch or listen, Nicole, um, anxious and ambitious podcast. But one podcast really stood out for me, uh, one episode, 
And that episode was, was with Nick Devlin and you guys were talking about fear and how to make fear your friend. What was your biggest takeaway from that? Yeah. So my biggest takeaway from that conversation is that oftentimes when we see fear, we often see it as like, maybe this is something that I shouldn't be doing. If I feel the fear, then maybe this thing isn't aligned for me or it's not the right fit. And we often see it maybe as a reason not to do the thing. But how Nick um, frames fear is fear as a friend. And he really talks about the gift on the other side of the fear. And I think this is so true for every time we're encountering fear. I mean, for the most part, unless you're in true danger, that there's oftentimes a gift once you get through that uncomfortability. Have you seen that fear come in, you know, you know, before the wedding, after the wedding, have you seen that fear starting the podcast, starting the entrepreneurship stuff? And have you, what have you done with it in order to move forward with your life? Yeah, I mean, fear has been a theme in my life for sure, especially as somebody who has dealt with anxiety for a lot of my life. Um, fear definitely came up, you know, before the marriage, all the limiting beliefs and, you know, just that ego coming up, trying to keep you safe. And especially trying to start the podcast and starting my entrepreneurial journey. So I had to navigate a lot of anxiety in my body, both before and after I made that leap from my stable, comfortable, more corporate job into this entrepreneurial, more independent space. And so when I was first leaving, some of my coworkers would even say, you know, don't, don't quit, you know, just give your leave of absence. And then if something happens, then you have this sort of like safety net to fall back on. But I knew that if I was going to do the thing, I needed to make the decision and, and sort of when you're making a decision, it's cutting off the other options, right? So I completely quit. I went into the job and that alone brought up a lot of fear. But I, when I moved through that fear, I knew it was for a reason and even when I got into that new role, new forms of anxiety started coming up into my body simply because it was a new experience. So I didn't have that level of certainty. So I had to do a lot of work, both cognitively and mainly what I found was helpful was more subconscious work. So I did a lot of hypnotherapy to rewire the experiences I was having. So instead of feeling fear and anxiety for these new situations, which at the time was sales conversations, I was able to feel like a joy and excitement connecting with these people. So really like transmuting that fear into almost like faith and fun. Very cool. Um, did you also see that because fear is an energy and we all know emotions are energy placed on us as a, uh, as a way for us to express ourselves. That's the way I see any form of emotion um, without verbally talking to somebody and do you did you see that did you feel that if you when you exercise and you ate properly was that helpful shifting from a fearful state to a comfortable state most definitely and i love that you touched on the fact that emotion is an energy i agree i think it's really just like energy in motion emotion and for me being able to move and take control of my nutritional health has been majorly helpful in navigating my anxiety mental health um, as well as navigating that fear because when you're able to move it can help you to release some of that like adrenaline and cortisol that builds up it's kind of like when you see a duck after they've went through some sort of 
stressful situation, they shake it off. So this is sort of a way that we can do it in our life by having a regular exercise regimen where we're shaking off all those emotions that we may have picked up along the way. Um, and as well with eating, right? Because if you're not, even just something as simple as carbs, if you're not eating enough carbs, then you're not going to be producing enough serotonin. And serotonin is the reason for us feeling like relaxed and joyful. So I'd say, you know, emotions, eating and exercise, they're all heavily intertwined. What are some of the biggest struggles that you've had to deal with um, when it comes to dealing with that kind of fear and how have you moved forward from it? Yeah. So I've had a lot of struggles with it. And at times it almost felt like hopeless. Like I didn't have a shot of moving through the fear. Even when I first quit my job and started in the entrepreneurial space for a little bit, I wasn't sleeping. I was overthinking like every 10 minutes, having swirls of these horrible thoughts going through my head. And I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And there reaches a certain point sometimes where it feels like that fear becomes debilitating. And what I did to move through it was really one, reaching out for help, realizing that maybe I couldn't do all of this by myself. So for me, that looked like going to a hypnotherapist and working with the subconscious to rewire some of those habit loops that were causing this constant anxiety. Um, and as well as really going within and finding presence and grounding, because a lot of the time when we're experiencing that fear, what we don't realize is that we're so caught up in our mental state that we real we really begin to think that our mental state is our state and is our life. So when you can separate from that and get into the body, whether that be through somatic work, through breath work, through exercise, uh, that has been beyond helpful for moving through fear. Um kind of a little bit off topic because you you really focus with women and that's great i think that's amazing because women have an easier time uh verbalizing their emotions whereas men we have a tendency of not verbalizing our emotions and it comes out in other ways what are some of the tips that you can give women out there who have men who are not verbalizing and they know that they're struggling with something to help them get the help they need so it doesn't become something too serious like like alcoholism or drug use or abuse or something like that yeah that's a great question and i definitely noticed that in my work as well while i do focus on working with women and i have worked with men as well and they're always often explaining to me you know they they typically feel or at least label them as less emotions. So oftentimes when I'm working with men, maybe they resonate with the feeling of like anger and frustration, but they can't necessarily point to times where they felt like terror, horror, or or just I mean even like broader emotions. So I would say a good way to do it, I mean, there's different modalities that you can use, but I am familiar with one called emotion code. And they have like a chart of emotions. So even just looking at that emotion chart and seeing like, have I even felt any of these ways? Because I think a lot of the time, especially for men, we're taught, you know, emotions are a bad thing and they're not going to get you anywhere. And oftentimes it's modeled for us that only certain emotions are actually productive and be, wanting to, you know, be a caretaker and a producer and an achiever, it, it kind of sways you away from using those emotions that you don't view as productive. And oftentimes we had modeled to us, if our father was in a stressful situation, he got that like frustration and anger building up 
um, depending on, of course, your family situation, but I do find this is like a common theme. And so just recognizing how have I been detaching from these emotions that maybe I felt weren't serving me, but they might be getting bottled up and causing other emotional experiences that aren't necessarily even real, like that pent up frustration. So, yeah, sorry, just to circle back in a long winded way, but as a long, you know, to go in and see what emotions are you really feeling, even if it helps to look at definitions, or I know they even make sometimes like cards, kind of like tarot cards, like, you know, pulling a card and seeing, do I resonate with how this feels and and trying to go inward in that way. That's interesting. It's interesting that to, to use um, like some kind of like physical thing that you can pull out and say, this is what I'm feeling because I'll talk from experience of what happened recently with me when just after you and I talked before uh, I was on a boat uh, heading on to a Greek island, driving on probably the second worst roads in all of Greece. And if you've ever driven in Greece, you'll know that how bad the roads are. Um, I was on top of a mountain and I was driving off off the side of the mountain and there was a, like a giant cliff with no guardrail, no nothing. And my mom in the back, she was just crying her eyes out. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I can't deal with this right now and drive, focus on this. So like for her, she expressed, she expressed that emotion with tears and fear and terror. I, I, I had the same emotions. I had fear and terror because I was like, oh my God, I make one wrong turn and we are off the side of a mountain couple hundred couple hundred feet above sea level and it's just sheer cliff and but for me it was just i need to focus i need to be here tuck my fear and i i i was blasting i was blasting people that weren't even there so these things i have a feeling they come back and they build subconscious blocks in the future how can you as a coach help identify help people identify these subconscious blocks from past experiences? What are some of the tools that you use? Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you make because a lot of the time we have that experience that then affects future emotional experiences. And oftentimes that experience is actually in childhood, especially the most formative emotional experiences that we have are oftentimes in childhood. Um, and so what I do, I, I work with a variety of different modalities, but a couple of different ways that we can address these more subconscious emotions is one of them is just going within the body. So an exercise that I like to do is you sort of breathe in deep and feel where is your breath going to? And at what point in your body is that breath stopping? And so it might be in your chest, it might be in your belly button. And oftentimes when we go and um, investigate that blockage, we can sort of find a time that that first came up. And it sort of almost creates like this emotional blockage within the body. So we can go within and examine that area to go see when these past emotions or experiences have been brought up. And then alternatively as well, working with other modalities to help release like more trapped emotions. I'll use something called muscle testing. And so this allows you to basically get a yes or no response from which you can 
use almost like a detective type of process to figure out what are these emotions that are coming up and affecting me in the now. So I did this for me as well, because I was experiencing that chronic anxiety. And so when I looked into it, you know, what emotions are actually behind this and on a subconscious level and all sorts of different things come up, like feeling unworthy, feeling hopeless, um, a state of despair. So those are a couple of ways that I'll, I'll dig a bit deeper into the subconscious emotions. It's pretty cool that you use uh, um, muscle testing in order to find uh, uh, emotional trauma. Uh, to the body. I use muscle testing to, to identify physical trauma and where the muscle has shut off and not supportive to the rest of the system. Um, but you said something interesting and I want to touch up on it uh, a little bit more. You said, um, you know, where the physical body people feel the blockage. What if people are so numb to their own senses that they can't feel anything? Yeah. So in that case, when they're not able to feel, that's usually when I go in and I'll actually use my body almost as a proxy. So I'll connect with that person's energy and then use my body as a muscle testing way to get in touch with that emotion. And so it might sound like a little bit woo, but it really is just energetic, right? When you can really feel yourself connecting with someone, you oftentimes are starting to feel their emotions, whether or not you recognize it or not, right? You can step into a room and feel like, oh, maybe there's some tension here. And so likewise, I use a similar process to sort of get in touch with the person's subconscious so that I can identify from an external standpoint some of these emotions and where they've actually been lodged in the body. And this can help the person to start to find some relief. And eventually what I find is through continuous practice with this and using meditation and visualization, it can help the person start to get into their body um, on a deeper level because really that is I believe is my goal because if you're circling around up in that headspace, you're detached from really your earthly essence, like being here in the body. So I love to help people get back in touch with their body. But in the meantime, if they're detached, then I will use my body as sort of like a proxy. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what are some of the blocks that you faced and how did, how did you overcome them? Yeah. So some of the blocks that I've faced, I mean, a big one, especially with starting my podcast and increasingly going on other people's podcasts and sharing my story has been a throat blockage. So a blockage of like what I would say is the throat chakra. And it's funny how these emotional things can really show up as physical issues because before my very first podcast interview, I lost my voice. Like I literally lost my voice. I had to cancel the interview. My body was like, no, honey, we're keeping you safe. You're If you can't talk, you can't show up. And if you can't show up and share your voice, then no one can hate you or abandon you or all these little fears that come up, right? So for me, working through that, a lot of it has been um, getting more in touch with the body, going in that way, and also using external devices to help. So something that's really been helpful for me is actually crystals. So using different crystals that the color aligns with that chakra. So for the throat, it's like a very blue color. So using blue crystals has been helpful for that, um, as well as going in and removing more of the limiting beliefs behind that we're causing it so that it can move forward with more alignment. 
Um, you've also dealt with eating disorders. And surprise, surprise, men also suffer from eating disorders, just not the same way women suffer from eating disorders. We suffer, we like to eat more. Eh, well, I guess it's the same. <laughs> I guess it's the same. <laughs> uh, we just don't express it. We're just like, it's it's more of a common uh, thing for us. Uh, I've also suffered from eating disorders too. Uh, before I left for Greece, um, <clears throat> I moved to Florida. And um, to be honest with you, I all I wanted to do was hide in the shell and eat and drink drink eat and drink myself to sleep um and as a personal trainer you know that doesn't really do good for your business one and it doesn't do good for your own health most most importantly it doesn't do any good for your own health how do you help somebody identify that they actually have an eating disorder yeah, that's a good question. And I like how you mentioned the overeating side of things, because I think a lot of the time when we think about eating disorders, we just think about people like either under eating or purging that type of situation, but it can really go both ways. And how I help people to look at this is how are you using food, right? What is your relationship with food? So how you explained there, like that's really common, especially in times of stress. I'm sure most of us experienced that during COVID being locked in our houses and like, really, this was the only form of relief. So in that case, it's like eating is this form of emotional relief. And whenever we're using something as emotional relief, it's really sort of like an addiction, right? So it, whether or not it feels like an addiction, it's taking us away from our experience of reality. So what I do is, is I help them to understand like what is the reason for this eating pattern whether that be overeating or undereating and most of the time it comes down to something either emotional or mental or energetic and then when we understand that then we can start to create a plan for how to move forward so let's say going back to that overeating and especially in times of stress you want to feel like you're like just caving in and sort of just like escaping the world what are some other ways that we can escape this feeling of stress and provide relief from that despair or whatever it is that's causing you to go inwards that isn't overeating and that is going to cause us long-term benefits instead of just short-term coping benefits in the now and then eventually causing long-term problems, you know, if you were to continue overeating for months at a time. Very cool. Um, what are the steps that you have you have done for yourself? to help get over the, um, eat, the eating disorders that the eating disorder that you had? Yeah, for sure. So when I first developed my eating disorder, I already had other mental illness going on. So I was struggling with anxiety. I was struggling with depression. And when I came to that point of eating disorder, for me, it was a point of wanting to one, gain some sort of control over an aspect of my life because I felt like everything else was out of control. I was having like panic attacks without being able to control when or when it was not going to happen. And so for me, it was that aspect of control as well as an aspect of I am not enough and I need to prove my worth. And so for me, like I had an experience as a child where my childhood crush turned me down to go to a dance. And he ended up going with this girl who is much smaller than me. And I'm sort of like a larger structured, like almost like not Amazonian, but a little bit of like, I'm a tall lady. I got big shoulders and hips. And now I love that about myself. But at the time I tied worth 
to shrinking down. And I really just wanted to shrink down out of the world in general because I found it so overwhelming. And so a lot of it was going back and looking at what are those emotions that actually caused me to be there and then realizing better ways that I could get what it is that I wanted. So if I wanted to feel this control and peace in my body, I started to realize that not eating wasn't really the way to do that because I would be passing out or not able to go do the things that I needed to do. And so instead, I started to start to view my body as more of a home. And as a home, how can I actually treat this home with care instead of just controlling it in some arbitrary way? And so that's actually what really led me into my path of learning more about fitness and learning more about nutrition, because prior to that, I had only really done it because I was like a competitive athlete. So I was training, but not for the sake of my body. Um, so getting back in, I guess, developing a home within my body was one of the big things that helped me to move through that eating disorder. Very cool. Um, I actually had the opposite experience from you. I was a was five foot six, a hundred pounds soaking wet. And I signed up to a football to, to the junior football team on my high school. And I got powed on uh, one of the practices and I was, I had to gain weight and that led me into health and fitness and, you know, just eat, 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 eat. And now I'm in my mid forties and now the eat, 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 eat is not a very good idea. <laughs> yeah but even though like I mean on the surface level those are opposite but in reality we had the same experience because we both wanted to be a certain way but then we we tried to get into that identity or or that bodily position that we wanted to be in for me I wanted to be thinner for you want you wanted to be bigger but we did it in a negative way at first before I guess, learning more positive ways to go about health and fitness. Which is perfect because it leads into the next little segment that we have, and it's interconnecting the physical and mental health. Do you think that the modern way of we view beauty, now I have a little bit of a statue here from back home. Uh, we Do you think that it plays a good a positive or a negative effect on people's mental health and how we view what is beautiful? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think it's a goal of everybody to be admired and to feel beautiful for both men and women. We want to be wanted, right? Because that helps us to feel belonging. So when we get begin to get these societal ideals of what we believe beautiful is, and if that doesn't conform with how we are naturally built to be, then I think it can cause a lot of mental health issues because there's that dissonance between who you believe you are and who you think is a person of value and really who you want to be. And so when you have that, it can create all sorts of emotions in the body. It can create self-hatred. It can move you away from that self-love. It can even create anxiety because you're like, I want this thing, but it feels out of reach. Um, it can feel create depression because you feel hopeless. Like, oh, I'm never going to be able to be as skinny as so-and-so or I'll, I'll never have the same size biceps as him or, or whatever it is, the thing that you perceive as beauty. And so I think something that has been really helpful for me is reframing beauty in terms of like, what is beauty, Right. We see beauty in its full essence. And even though in the media, sometimes it seems like beauty is some very specific set of things, we all have our unique thing that makes us beautiful. 
And so when you can come back home to yourself and home to your body and, and really realize your innate self-worth and return to that place of self-love, then I think it helps you to move through and now see the different beauties and appreciate them for their own self-worth without it negating your worth. Yeah, that makes sense. And the actual vision of beauty has actually shifted like if you go back to my ancestors uh, the ancient greeks they the more voluptuous women were viewed beautiful where the skinny woman was viewed you know she didn't have any money she was a farmer uh she's not beautiful when we're now i have a feeling it's kind of it went to skinny is beautiful and now it's like kind of shifting again towards the voluptuous but you're right. You're right on a hundred percent in everything that you say. Well, except for the guys, the guys were like my Spartans. They were like, you had to be, you had to be ready to die. Basically <laughs> go to war and die. And that's, that was your job. That was your job in life. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think it's, it's, it's the individual uniqueness of the person that makes them beautiful, not the physical. Well, the physical attraction has to be there as well. I mean, that is a component of it. Do you think that, um, do you think it's important for an individual themselves to identify what they find attractive so that they can be connected? I know this is a little bit of a relationship kind of thing, and it's not really uh, fitness, but it does tie into everything that we're talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely does tie in and you're right. Physical attraction is a thing. I mean, you have to have that physical attraction in order to have that passionate relationship for the most part for most people. But what I would encourage someone to consider is like, you know how I said in my situation, I had that person who turned me down and, and went with somebody else who was skinnier. And, and who's to say that that was even the reason that he went with her it could have been something else. But even similarly, at another point in my childhood, somebody, I remember a good friend of mine saying like, oh, I love thigh gaps. Like thigh gaps are so hot. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a curvy figure. I'm not really, I'm not somebody who's made to have a thigh gap. And when I started to realize that this was more of like an anatomical thing, and this was just his unique preference, right? Other people might prefer to have somebody with a larger butt. And if you have a voluptuous glutes, then you're probably not going to have a thigh gap because it kind of fills in that thigh gap. So part of it is realizing like, okay, what are the standards that I want for myself? And are these standards really my own? Or did I pick them up, right? Did I just hear, oh, like I want to grow my butt because that's what I hear everybody wants. Or is that something that you really want for yourself? Because when you can come to a place where you fully love yourself, you will attract the person who loves you authentically as you are, right? There's guys out there who hate big boobs. There's guys out there who love big boobs. There's guys out there who hate really skinny girls. There's guys out there who love super small girls, right? So I think when you are able to get to that self-love, then it helps remove the pressure from other people loving you for your unique beauty. And I think that's important because um, then you can identify your own beauty. It, it will magnify it and it will attract the, the person that you want in your life rather than, you know, um, somebody who's going to treat you terribly 
five, 10 years from now. Yeah, you're so right. And like, it also affects your ability to receive love too, because if you can't come to that place of love for yourself, then you're literally having almost like a wall around your heart and you're not able to be that free flowing vessel for love. And so by opening up and and coming back to that self-love, then you're also able to actually receive love from your partner on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. 100%, 100%. So let's talk about like steps. Mm -hmm. Step number one for you would be? So step number one for somebody who is dealing with an eating disorder Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because, because that eating disorder does play into what, um, what we were just talking about, right? Understanding yourself and why are you hurting? Mm-hmm. Right. So, and if you can't like, like, like you said, if you can't love yourself, there's no way that you're going to be able to love anyone else. So step number one for you to help somebody would be. Yeah. So, I mean, For me, I'd say that this is less of a linear step-by-step process and more of like a treasure map depending on the person. But for the most part, I would say that the first step is really getting to the emotional root of why you have whatever that habit is, right? What is the real reason that we're doing that? Because when we can identify the why behind the why, then it gives us a place to start for the process. And that's going to look different for everybody. Very cool. Um, how would you help somebody clean up uh, their diet, for example? Like what, what diet do you really like that, that you've seen so many results? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, there's a million different diets out there and I'm somebody who's very pro more of an intuitive diet. So instead of being like super strict with this is a good food, this is a bad food. I try to encourage people to more listen to their body and how it actually makes them feel. Because what we don't oftentimes realize is that sometimes our favorite foods are not actually our favorite foods. And what I mean by that is it's like, let's say your favorite food is a cheeseburger and you think I love cheeseburgers, but when you actually get down to it and you feel like how you feel after you had the cheeseburger and even during eating it, right? Oftentimes these favorite foods, we're just like scarfing them down. And so realizing like that sometimes that's an addiction and coming to a better place of understanding of what foods we actually want. Um, So that's one thing, as well as helping people to understand that I think a lot of the time, especially as women, we think, okay, if I want to reach this certain body goal, and for a lot of women, it is weight loss, we think, okay, I need to eat less and move more. And so I like to sort of break that stigma around it, that it's not always about eating less. Like oftentimes people are who are overweight are actually not eating enough, but then when they are eating, they're eating not enough of the good things. So their body is more in this like starvation mode and putting on fat and storing it as like hibernation instead of having access to all these nutrients that we actually need. So usually when I first start working with somebody, I start to see where can we implement more, like more protein, more healthy vegetables and fruits, like more of those micronutrients that we need to thrive. Do you think it's important for people to um, cheat on their diet? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so this idea of cheat is something that I find so interesting. Um, While I do think it is important to be able to feel free to go out and enjoy the things that you like, 
I don't really like to think about it as like cheating, but instead incorporating it into part of how your lifestyle is. So for me, I like to use like the 80-20 rule. So like 80% of the meals that I'm going to eat are going to be serving my body, right? They're going to be fueling me on a nutritional level, giving me the energy to get through my workouts and just through my day. But then the other 20%, it's going to serve more like my mental and my soul health, like my soul food. And sometimes those are things that like made you feel comfortable as a kid. But then even at the same time, I still like to go and look into those cheat foods and say like, how am I, how can I actually attach more enjoyment to this? Because I think a lot of the time when we have those cheat things, especially if you feel like you've been like depriving yourself, you get to the end of the week and it's like cheat meal. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to eat the whole bag of chips. And, and before you know it, you're eating it so fast and you're not even able to really glean pleasure from it. So I like to encourage like mindfulness and presence in the eating so that if you are having that cheat meal, you're actually enjoying every bite of it and every moment of chewing it instead of just like, I shouldn't be eating this thing. I'm going to get it down as fast as I can. And, and then moving on to the next thing. Oh, I, uh, I totally agree with that. Cause the reason why I asked was because, um, um, I spent the last six weeks in Greece and, um, to tell you the truth, the food there was, I was disappointed for the first time in my entire life. I've been going to Greece and this year I was disappointed with the food. Uh, I don't know what they've done to it, but there was only three places that I actually really enjoyed the food, like really enjoyed the food. Like where I sat down and I'm like, finally, I found Greek food. Uh, to be honest with you, it, it got to the point where I was like, I just want to go back to North America to have a good cheeseburger, <laughs> cheeseburger and fries. I don't want, I don't care about the salad. I just want the cheeseburger and fries and a burrito. I love Mexican food and it's here in Florida. We're filled with Mexican food. So that's why I asked. I'm like, because I know a lot of trainers out there. They're like, well, you should never cheat. It's not good. It's not good for you. And I'm like, well, it's good for up here. Mm. And I'm glad that you said that, that it is, um, it is really important to have that cheat meal, cheat day but not scarf everything down like it. Remember why you enjoyed it. How did you come about something like that? I know the way that I came about it, but I want to, I want, I want your journey into that. Yeah. I mean, so when I first started in the fitness and nutrition journey, I went like hard into it, especially because I had come out from a place of having starved myself. So quite frankly, it was easy enough to transition into another strict, strict diet type of situation. And so for that, like, I really started to realize that I was still getting burnt out from it all. And I wasn't able to enjoy like the foods that I wish that I could have had. And so I began to investigate alternative ways to reach my goals um, while still enjoying the things that I loved. And so that 80-20 thing, I think I originally picked that up because that was what they did for like Wonder Woman's diet. I'm pretty sure that's where I originally heard it from. Um, and so maybe I heard it somewhere else before, but that's really what comes to mind. And I was like, if Wonder Woman's doing that, I can do that. And what I like about the 80-20 idea is that instead of saying like, okay, I'm going to be good on my diet six days a week and then you know, Saturday is my cheat day or whatever, you can choose to have cheat, quote unquote, cheat things every day. So as long as 80% of the things that you're eating are in line with more of your physical goals, like you could have that 
bowl of ice cream every night if if you want, right? If it's fitting into that 20%. And so for me, it was that journey of being like, okay, I can have these things and it's not going to take away my control and take away from my goals and it can increase my pleasure. And then also realizing it from a way that I can do it without just like binging and scorfing the things down, but actually gleaning pleasure from those foods. You, you, you said something there right at the beginning of it, and I want to touch up on it. Burnout. Um, a lot of people f- suffer from burnout and, um, it's interesting that you said that you, you, you felt burnout from your diet and people do feel burnout from their diet, from the strictness of everything. How do you help somebody identify that they're actually burnt out from their diet and to eat where, where's the, where's the line for them to ease off, but not too much so that they can um, detriment what their progress Yeah, that's a great question. So I think a lot of the time when we burn out from our diet, it's because we're following following such a strict plan and not fully listening to our body. So, you know, you might be feeling deprived and at the end of every meal, you're like still feeling kind of hungry, but you use your willpower to say no. And the thing with willpower is that you can only use it for so long. And so eventually it will burn out, whether that's, you know, for work, whether that's for eating, anything. And so instead, I like to help people instead of using force to like forcefully change their diet, start to tap into more of what I say is like your power. And so viewing your your diet as less of a diet and more of a choice gives you more of that power so that instead of, you know, having to use willpower all the way along to not be eating enough, you're feeling fulfilled and satisfied with every meal along the way. Very cool. Um, you can also put that into working out too, because yeah. I've experienced it too, where I'm working out two, three months and then that burnout comes out and it's like, I don't want to go to the gym today. Yeah, exactly. And so when it comes to workouts too, like something that I do is really creating more of like a cyclical program. And so especially for women, I will align it with their um, menstrual cycle so that at different energy levels, you're doing different things. And I think it's really an important part, even for male bodybuilders is to make sure that you're incorporating that deload week and having different levels of progression, not always going for a PR every single time you go to the gym. Like I know some bodybuilders will say that, but I mean, I don't know how many of them actually stick with that into their nineties. You know what I mean? Like they probably burn out at some point. Yeah. Not many. (laughs) None. I'll be honest with you. None of them do. Uh, it's all, like you said, like it has to be a cycle. Um, with my clients, like I've actually, I don't do that stuff anymore. I do, but not as much as I want. I want to do less. Like I want to do more on the table than I do. Anyways, that's a a conversation for another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are coming close to the end of the show. And um, these are the seven or eight questions that I ask all my guests. And I just like to get your uh, feedback on them. Mm-hmm. With the increase in people suffering from depression from the uncertainty that we've been living through over the last two years and looks like three years, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Hmm. The one thing I would tell them to keep their hopes up is really coming back to the purpose of why you believe that you're here 
And I guess this is getting a little bit deep, but for me, the only um, anecdote or antidote to uncertainty is faith, because there's always going to be some sort of uncertainty in life. But when you can have that faith, it allows you to find certainty in the uncertainty. So for me, I believe, you know, we're at a time in earth where all these different cycles are coming to an end, like lots of um, upheaval is going on around the world. There's tons of uncertainty, but during those times of hardness and darkness, we experience the most growth. So for me, I'm like, how is my soul and everyone else's soul growing during this uncertain time? And when you can sort of return to that innate purpose of it all, then it allows you to even find joy in the darkness and in the uncertainty. Very nice. Very well said. Uh, What's the one thing that you do on a daily basis that amplifies your ability to stay focused? Yeah. So one thing I do every day that really amplifies my ability to stay focused is visualizing. And so each morning I will get into a meditation and really visualize who it is that I want to be and really feel that. So it's not even just about visualizing it, but feeling who am I as this person? Like, how do I feel? What do I say? How do I walk? How do I talk? What am I going to wear? What am I going to spend my day doing? And this allows me to stay focused on my future self. Um, which I think is really important because oftentimes we make decisions in the present moment that serve us in the now, but are negative for the future. So this helps me stay on track with my goals um, from a place of ease instead of force. Cool. Uh, If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself, stop worrying so much. (laughs) Like, detach from all these things that you think and believe that you are and all these pressures that you think are so important and return to the joy of life. I think especially in my 20s, I was really attached to who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, how I was going to serve the world. And I got detached from who I truly was and how to experience joy in the world. Looking back, would you change anything? Mm. I don't think I would change anything. I mean, my journey has been very up and down, but I believe through every single downward slope that I went through, I came up stronger on the other side. And it sounds cheesy, but it really was for a reason. So as much as I don't want to relive and wouldn't, you know, wish some of those experiences on other people, I am definitely grateful for where they got me to. Good answer. I like that answer. What scares you? Ooh, what scares me? I would say one of the things that scares me is is saying something that I feel like others will disagree with. And this is a fear that I'm moving with current through currently. So I have this, especially coming from like a research background, whenever I'm saying something, I always want to be like, how can I prove this with, you know, research stats? And what if this is not true? And now I'm starting to realize, like, what if nothing is true? What if this is just my truth and that is enough? Um, So, yeah, one of those fears is just, like, are people going to judge me if I'm going to say the wrong thing? But just returning to the sense that, like, no matter what it is, it's my truth. Where do you see anxious and ambitious podcasts in the next five years? 
I see the Anxious and Ambitious podcast in the next five years as interviewing a bunch of amazing experts who have been through the anxiety and are willing to open up about it. I also really just want to inspire as many people as I can that they can be anxious and ambitious. It's not mutually exclusive. Just because you feel that fear doesn't mean you can't do the thing. How about you personally? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? In the next five years, I see myself as stepping more into my role as a speaker and a podcaster, as well as a full-time coach. So right now I do my coaching more on the side. I also do media coaching as my more full-time gig. Um, so I want to transition more into doing this type of work full-time. Cool. Uh, where can people find more about you? So people can find more about me on my podcast, which is available on any platforms. Again, it's Anxious and Ambitious, as well as on Instagram. I'm at Roar with Nicole, and I'm also over on Facebook. Very cool. And I will post all your links that you gave me with a show notes so everybody has easy access to contacting you, listen to your amazing podcast, and following you. So Awesome. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, any final thoughts? I would just love to say that I love what you're doing with this podcast here, John. Like, I love that you are intertwining this idea of fitness with also with mental health and with spirituality. And I truly believe that we can only find true fitness when we go about it from mind, body and soul. So just thank you for providing this platform to have these discussions. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your great insight um, because it's 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 so needed it's so needed in today's world especially coming out of a pandemic to post-pandemic or hopefully post-pandemic we're living in um people are people need people like you to come and help them out of the rut that they were in the last two years so what you're doing is also very 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 unique and very 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 needed right now so uh i'm grateful for the stuff that you're doing keep going, keep going strong. I know it's the beginning phases. Uh, I feel like I'm still in the beginning phases. I've been doing it for, I've been doing podcasting for what, two, almost three years now. And I still feel like it's the beginning for me. So keep going. Uh, you, the podcast is great. I highly recommend people going and listening to your podcast and whatever coaching services that you have, you're doing great work. Please keep going. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before, and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world. Hey everybody, it's John from Resilient Reboot Productions and the Fitness Oracle. Thank you for watching this episode and I really hope that you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell and share this video if you are watching this on YouTube or on Rumble. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast Breaker or whatever streaming service that you may be using, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review as it will help us reach more people that are suffering from mental health issues. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to join us on Pod Inbox.
this is a great platform that we can keep the conversation going. Over the years, we've discovered that the best way to help people regain their confidence back of whatever fitness goal that they are looking for is to put together a tight-knit community that will be here to support you in that journey. So in order for us to do that, we are partnering up with Pod Inbox to help us create that platform and give you that opportunity to uh, have your voice. So all you have to do is click on the link below in the show notes and get your set up your free account on Pod Inbox right now. Until then, I'll see you guys soon.